Welcome, adventurers. What links will obsession lead a person to? What paths that others would dare not follow? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Mouth shut, tight as a bear trap. Heavy breath passed through her flaring nostrils in an attempt to control her rage. Her eyes looked forward to the stare from below. Not because she was waiting for someone, but instead because that is the direction her desk faced. In truth, she didn't see anything at all. Her vision swam, her heartbeat pounding in her ears. She was not one to let emotion get the better of her. She despised those that cannot control themselves. But in this moment, it took all of her energy not to stand and scream, to cast the books from her desk, to set the whole cursed tower alight with arcane flame. Fourteen years. It had been fourteen years. A metallic ping sounded quickly followed by a flare of pain in her right hand. Esmeray swore, eyes flicking downward. The jeweled letter opener had snapped. In her simmering fury, she had failed to notice her vice-like grip on the tool. Failed to notice she had been pressing the sharp point downward with all of her strength into the dark surface of the desk. As fine as the letter opener was, it was not made to take such abuse, and the blade had flexed then snapped in half, her hand sliding down, cutting on the shard she still held. Esmeray stood, releasing the opener, making a fist to staunch the flow of blood. Some pattered out of her closed hand all the same onto the letter that lay open before her. The letter that had come all the way from Itapunwa. The matter of this magical seal is a most interesting concept. However, it is the opinion of the conservatory that a magical barrier of such strength as you describe could only be erected for two reasons. First, whatever lies within poses an extreme threat to the outside land at large, and should therefore be left untrifled with. Or secondly, an item of the highest magical order lie within. It is the direct experience of the conservatory that such items inevitably draw the attention of those who wish to further their power over the good of all people. It is also the express purpose of this council to prevent or reverse such occurrences. Therefore, we can offer no writings, nor spare any emissary to assist you in investigating or defeating this magical ward. You seem a most intelligent and worthy practitioner of the arcane arts, and we are familiar with the compelling nature of mysteries and the desire to expand one's own knowledge and capabilities by solving them. It is our hope, after reading this letter, you consider what we have said and realize that the consequences of some explorations are too great. We are pleased to have made your acquaintance via correspondence and assume your good faith in understanding our position in this matter. With esteemed regards, 
Garlin Goncalves, first secretary of the conservatory. It had taken years for word of the existence of the conservatory to reach her, and she had spent two more years developing rapport with them via correspondence, establishing her credentials and credibility to paint a picture of her most innocent curiosity in all things, only to have it end in this, an utter and outright rejection to help her with the one and only thing that mattered to her, the recovery of the heart from its prison in the Druid's temple. Ten steps carried Esmeray to the nearest bookshelf, pushing her uninjured hand through the books before her, an illusion, she withdrew a small cylindrical jar with a flat top. Placing it on a nearby table, she removed the lid and dipped fingers into the dark, greasy substance within. She smeared the ashen-colored goo over the cut on her hand. The pain flared as the substance moved, sucking into the wound. The last remaining tendrils of the salve grabbed the tender edge and pulled the cut shut. A fine black line remained where the injured hand had been, the area around red and irritated. Her hand throbbed and would for a bell or more. The cut had at least broken the hold of the fit of anger, not that her mood was much improved. Esmeray was a problem solver. She would find a new path. But how much time would it take? How long before she uncovered a new angle? The final words of that filthy abyssal chicken, Erdrith, came to her mind unbidden. Old as I am, it is hard for me to judge age. But you are in your late thirties? Forty, maybe. So the clock begins now. I doubt you will find it in the fifty or so years you have remaining. Rage flaring again, she banished the thought from her mind but as she recapped the jar and placed it in its home behind the false books, the doubt clawed in her mind. Fourteen years, and she had found nothing. She knew exactly where the heart was, but it may as well have been lost beneath the sea for all of her ability to reach it. The light in the room dimmed, a cloud passing overhead. A chill ran through Esmeray the feeling of being watched pulsing up her spine. That was not possible. She was five stories above the ground. And then a loud clack as something struck the window behind her. She spun, a surge of power rushing into her as she gathered herself to cast. Across the room, sitting outside on the sill of the large north window, was a massive bird, dark as night. A raven? Ravens were common in many parts of the Barata province. Esmeray had never seen one in Ardisport. The corvid ruffled its wings, hopped to adjust its position on the sill, and then tapped again on the window with its beak. Not one to scare easily, Esmeray was surprised as her hands flinched again at the noise. Irritated by her uncharacteristic flustering, she forced herself to stand to her full height, smoothing the fabric at her sleeves. The doors on the ground floor of the tower were both trapped and warded. A powerful charm had been placed on the entire fence surrounding the lot, 
one that would make all but those of the most iron-clad will be disinterested in her property. In fact, any that came to the gate would forget the reason for their visit and be compelled to move along. These measures had been sufficient to keep Esmeray undisturbed all these years. It seemed, however, in light of this odd happening, she must ponder other means to deter aerial incursions as well. Considering the possible reasons for the bird's interest, she could think of few outside of magic. Though she did not keep one herself, she had heard of some wizards that kept the familiar to serve them, act as eyes and ears, to conduct small tasks, to deliver messages. Though she was acquainted with the practice, she was not acquainted with any such wizards. Well, this bird would either deliver a message, or she would pluck the feathers from its corpse. Raven's feathers were bound to have some magical properties. Her normal sense of calm and control restored, she took long strides to carry her past the desk and toward the window. She considered her staff, which leaned against one of the tall, carved candle holders at the desk's corner. But then, not wishing to be cowed by a bird, settled for a wand, plucking it from its spot not far from the open letter. It gave her some concern that the raven had not yet taken flight with her rapid approach, and had to pause to reinforce her calm as she reached the window. It sat there still, turning its head to inspect her with one eye. His Marie chastised herself for her unease. She knew of none other in the province as powerful as her. This bird could rot in the lowest level of the hells for all she cared. She reached out, opening the window quickly. Before the panes of the window had been fully withdrawn, she had the overwhelming sense that she had made a mistake. What should have been warm air found itself to be an inexplicably cold draft that pushed into the room, swirling around her, finding her skin under her dress, redoubling the chill she had felt but a moment before. She made to move, but found that she could not. Whether by fear or magic, she did not know. The raven was unnaturally large. From its head to tail it was near four feet. And what should have been brown eyes were the deepest liquid black. Its head tilted down and then up, as if it were taking her measure. The irrational sensation that the bird would plunge its beak into her chest and rip out her heart at any moment ran over and over again in her mind. She knew this was impossible, but she could think of nothing else. Why couldn't she move? Ten beats, ten bars, she couldn't tell how long this went on. Her muscles burned, instincts screaming to place her hand over her heart. Finally, the raven lifted its gaze, tilting its head to look down into the yard below. It hopped to turn away, twisted its head one last time to consider her with that black glass marble of an eye, and then leaned forward, disappearing with a barely audible whoosh. As the midnight bird fell from view, she was unfrozen all at once. The cold wind clung to her and pulled. Her legs quivered, and she pitched forward. 
She was overwhelmed with a feeling that she would fall. No, that she would jump. Esmeray's legs hit the stone wall. Her head and upper body passed through the open window. She was bending forward at the waist. Her legs were gathering to push. At the last moment, the madness broke with a flash of white-hot anger. The heart, she would not die without the heart. Her legs pushed. There was not but air to either side. The view of the Rose District spreading out below her. But at that very moment, fueled by a bitter anger, her arms shot out, grasping the sides of the sill she had just passed. Her motion stopped, and for two beats, she hung, well past halfway out the window, arms straining to hold on. She clamped her eyes closed, and then pulled, letting her legs collapse. The warm stone of the lower sill met her belly. She let loose the sides and then grasped the bottom of the sill, pushing and pulling. Inside at last, she turned and then slouched down to the floor. Her heart, thunder. Sweat poured down her face. Her eyes were still clasped firmly shut. Until this moment, she had forgotten what fear was. Esmeray clutched at her chest, stomach burning, focusing all her energy on her breath. And then a chill, eyes popping open as from the yard below. The raven let out a call. It hadn't gone. What did it want? The anger inside her was building, engaging the fear, straining to push it back. She made herself sit up and turn back to the window. In spite of her desire, she could not make herself stand. Instead, she took to her knees, grasping on to the lower sill of the window as if it were the last sack of grain in the realm. She peered out. The raven sat atop the wrought iron gate that separated her yard from the private street. It tilted its head up again. At least five stories below, its unusual size was less apparent. What did it want? It let out a caw, caw again. It hopped up, beating its wings once, only to land back atop the gate. Shamed by this being's power over her, Embarrassed by the childlike pose in which she now sat in her own sanctum, the anger finally broke through. Pushing the fear down, she yelled down at the bird. What do you want? Do you have a message for me? In response, the raven called again, hopped once more, and then took to flight. It circled once, twice, and then flew off down the street to the north. She stared after it until it blended into the shadow of a building some two hundred paces away and was lost to her sight. What was she to make of this? Exhaustion washed over her. Esmeray let out a breath and hung her head, looking down to the foot of the tower. Her eyes widened in disbelief. What cinder-plucked mischief was this? At the base of the tower, where the brick path came to the door, stood a woman. Gray-streaked black hair fell out of a tattered head covering of black wool. Her face was gaunt, but her head was upturned, 
staring directly at Esmeray. Looking back down, Esmeray's eyes drew into slits, mouth pulling into an angry sneer. She could bear no more humiliation this day. The stranger standing below, having defeated the charm at her gate, at the very same time of that cursed bird's arrival, could not be a coincidence. She would not hail the stranger from above. She would go down and meet her. She would get, nay, she would demand answers. She pushed herself to standing, crossed the ten paces to the desk, grabbed her staff, and stormed down the stairs. Five flights later, she arrived at the lower floor. Passing the fountain of gray stone, she made her way to the north door, a door that had not been open in over eight years. Esmeray muttered, raising her staff above her head. Arcane symbols glowed brightly, flaring red around the door frame, and then went out. She did not disarm the trap. If the woman made so much as one step across the threshold, she would be riddled with poison darts. Esmeray muttered again, and with a gesture of her hand, the large double doors swung inward. The woman stood before her, unconcerned, unafraid. Now that only a few paces separated them, she could see the woman properly. She appeared frail and poor. An old black vest of the same dark wool as her head covering was fit over a rough-spun gray dress. It was ragged and torn at the hem, which struck along the ground. The woman's eyes were sunken, dark as if from a lack of sleep over many days. And those gray eyes held no shine. They were dull and uncaring. Unlike the bird, there was no aura about her at all. No mystery. Esmeray could snuff the life out of this one with a flick of a finger. And for some reason, that made her even angrier. She was about to begin a pointed interrogation when the woman spoke. What will be said? What tidings will come from such a strange messenger? Stay tuned next week for part two of The Path Beyond the Wall. And here we are. The last tale of the season has begun. Uh, but don't worry too soon. This last one is really long. There's a lot to it. So uh, I hope you enjoy and uh, buckle up. There's a lot of cool stuff to come.